Happy Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah. Um, how many got a horse in this race? How many got a team you're really looking forward to winning? No one? It's just, is it just that kind of Super Bowl? Yeah. Um, man, what a, what a week that's ahead of us, though. There's got the Super Bowl uh, tonight, and then Wednesday is what? Ash Wednesday and Valentine's Day all in one. Yeah. So um, we're going to open up the church here. You can come, and we'll put ashes on you, and then you can go out and have a romantic date. No, we're not actually going to open up the church. I do one day would love to do an Ash Wednesday service, um, and maybe we can arrange that with the school sometime. But, uh, man, I hope uh, you're having a good February, and just around the corner. This week, we're launching six weeks, and then Easter is here. Like, that's just unbelievable. So Easter's coming early this year, and... Uh, I hope that you uh, are going to enjoy yourselves this afternoon. Don't overeat and just be sick all day tomorrow. So uh, take care of yourself, but enjoy the game. And how many are looking forward to Usher? No one. Yes. All right. Yeah, we got some Usher fans. I know what you're really waiting for is the camera to go to Taylor Swift, right? Yeah, there we go. That's that's what we're all waiting for. Um, Well, uh, this morning, you guys, um, our focus today is going to be uh, coming to these tables. Um, we've been talking about this, this mystery that we all live within. Um, this human experience, it really is a mystery. Um, I got a real simple prayer, a meaningful prayer that I've been praying lately, and it's this. It's, God, I cannot believe I get to live this life. Like, that is really becoming just like a central prayer. And I'm discovering that that can hold the tension of a lot of different things. It can hold the tension of life not being perfect, not going exactly the way I hoped it to be, or even getting bad news in some way. And so uh, we've been talking about just paradoxes, embracing paradox, and what it means to hold this mystery at the center of this human experience, which I think the reality of it is it's love. And... I named that love God at the center of this reality. And, uh, you know, when you start talking about that kind of stuff, there are some things that go, yeah, that, you know, that helps me understand it. But there, there's this whole other part of the mystery that is really, really hard to put language to. So let me start by saying this. When we're talking about mystery as it pertains to the reality at the center of our human experience, which is God and love, and I see, and many of you see, is in this person of Jesus Christ, his life and his teachings, and the stories of these scriptures. Um, What we mean by that mystery is not that it cannot be understood, but that we're forever understanding it. So no one like me could stand up and like reveal it all to you, Um, and maybe you, you think you could reveal it all to all of us, but I would even say to you, no, we all can bring a part of this mystery, our experience of the mystery, and, but it's limited, quite limited. But this is the place where we should never stop talking about it. We should never stop opening our hearts to what that mystery is. So one of the most mysterious things about this experience of Christianity for me, if someone has been doing it, I feel like all my life, is coming to this table this morning and taking a simple piece of bread and juice in a cup and discovering that as simple as that might be, that it's more than that. Um, it's more than a piece of bread, and it's more than juice in a cup. 
And it has this profound way of, un, I think, unlocking and opening our hearts to um, the reality of the mystery around us. I really think we encounter Christ at this table. I really do. And to a heart that longs to be there and wants to open to that, I think it's available. I think it's right there. I think it's presence that we encounter when we come to these tables this morning. So what I would like to do is I want to read a text. I want to reflect on a little bit and how maybe that could be meaningful to our experience of life. And then we're going to come to this table this morning. And they're going to be people like you are serving it to you. They're people within our community. It's like, this is the beautiful thing. When Jesus leaves this world, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't really give us a creed or a doctrine or dogma. Um, what he does give us, he gives us a community. He leaves behind a community of people that continue to experience him in a bread, in a cup. But they're so transformed by his death and resurrection that they are doing things that they've never done before. And they're in a first century world that there's this um, ruling uh, empire that are ruled by these Caesars. And what they say, hey, Caesar's going to take care of you. All right? But you're going to have to do exactly what Caesar tells you or he's going to take care of you by killing you. Um, and these, like, group of people who begin to gather in their homes and begin to take this bread and this cup and they have been transformed by the presence of Christ in their lives, they begin to say, hey, Caesar doesn't take care of us. We take care of each other. That's what Jesus leaves us. So um, the mystery when you come this morning, yes, there's going to be people within our community. I hope you see the love that they have as they give you that, but I hope you see beyond it that there is a mystery and a love that is flowing through all of us that we can experience more readily if we'll just tune our hearts to it. And we did that this morning with preparing our hearts, and we'll do that as we come to the table. Here's the passage I want to read to you. It's found uh, out of Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. A paradox. Listen to this. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Paradoxes all over this text. Um, and by the way, if you're here for the first time today, please go back. Um, I can't go back and recap everything, but we kind of talked about the first week that there are these dynamic tensions that we live in the world with, and they're helpful. There are things that are paradoxes and things that seem like maybe they're contrary, but when you put them together, um, they actually make a whole lot of sense. And then there are these texts in the scriptures where there's these things that don't seem like they go together, like this. Like, what does it mean if I try to save my life, I'm going to lose it? But if I willingly give it in some way, I'm going to find it? A paradox. Hard, hard to comprehend. But Karen, if you put this up, maybe this is the way that we could look at it. To refuse to give it in some way, we lose it. But also, if we're willing to give it, we're going to find it. Yeah. So here's a couple ways that I just want us to think about this this morning. A couple that I thought about this week that I think are helpful. How about faith and doubt? Is anyone in here all faith and don't ever have questions or doubt? 
Because if you do, you probably should be up here teaching. <laughs> um, because I don't. Like, I, my faith has been growing for a long time, but that faith also has lots of questions and lots of doubts. And can I just say this? They actually go together. Like, I don't think doubt is in opposition to faith. Um, I'm really concerned. What scares me is people who have all the answers and don't ever have any of the questions. Because there are some questions to me that just seem unanswerable. And at some point, it takes some faith to go, hey, here's kind of what I'm experiencing and what I know, but how do you know that? Like, no human being could really know that. You could know that because someone said that that's the way you should think about it. But there are just some things that you just cannot know. And like, this is one for me. In um, Sunday school when I was a little boy, I got in trouble all the time because I asked questions. Um, but uh, we were, uh, it was Samson, you know, he kills the uh, Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey's, uh, what's the word there, arse. I, I was looking to make sure there were no kids in here. Um, and that's actually in the scripture, so I'm totally okay to say that. Um, but uh, I remember she did this, the Sunday school uh, teacher did this lesson. And my first thought was, because the week before, you know we taught on? Jesus loves his enemies. And so uh, it seemed like God was kind of allowing this to go on, and Samson is giving praise to God, going, thank you for giving me the strength to be able to do this, like to kill people. And so it was just like it seemed a bit odd to me. So I raised my hand and said, well, I don't understand. Like God's allowing this, but Jesus says we're to love our enemies. And she went, George, you should just be quiet. And so I learned early on, and then she actually told my mom, hey, George sometimes asks questions that are inappropriate. And so my mom had to have a conversation with me, yeah, I go, and George, don't ask, come to me, and we'll talk about it, but don't ask those questions, because they got me in trouble. And I really was not being disrespectful, but I don't know where that curiosity came from, but I would have questions like that along the way. And, but I want you to know this, that what I've learned to trust is that I think those questions are a part of the journey of faith. Like, I can't imagine where I would be, what point... I maybe would have just stopped living this from my heart and just continued to go through the motions because faith said you can't ask tough questions. So here's, here's what I'm saying. I'm more scared of a faith that does not have questions, that doesn't have questions in the face of this mystery. And I also want to argue that Doubt actually goes together with that. And if we can bring that in, I think it guides us to a more life-giving uh, kind of faith. So, and I would say this, a faith that has no room for questions, that scares me too. Because that is something that is trying to do away with faith, right? No, we should have questions. That's what faith is. And here's, I, I don't know how we miss this, but Jesus at one of his most important moments in life, what's he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does that sound like a question? Yeah, because it is. How many of us can relate to that kind of question? We're being faithful, we're doing the things that the pastor told us to do, or our parents told us to do, or the Christian faith tells us to do, but then we find ourselves in some kind of experience in life where we're going... God, why have you forsaken me? Like, where are you at? Like, I, I'm wondering, I'm questioning. You guys, that, when we're, when we're honest about those kinds of things, we are engaging with God in a very meaningful way. And we've got to learn 
to be more comfortable and trust those doubts and those questions that God is present with us in them and guiding us. But if you think that's unfaithful to have those doubts, can I just say, do you think Jesus is unfaithful? Because he has profound questions like that. Himself, the Son of God, who has the closest relationship that any uh, human being that we've ever witnessed to live this life has. So I don't know, that, that is helpful to me. That if Jesus has those kind of profound questions, then maybe it's okay for us too. And God could care for us in those things. But this way of talking about life, what a fascinating way to talk about life. That somehow, if we're willing to give it, we're going to find life. Well, this is so central to the Christian life. Here's a few ways to think about it. How about this? Um, if I were to ask you to take a deep breath in and hold it as long as you can and inhale air, which we need to do to live, how many at some point would get really uncomfortable? Because you would want to exhale, right? Yeah. So one way to think about this is like breathing. We inhale and then we exhale. Like it's the combination of those things working together that what? Make us alive. That give us energy and breath. So we are made not just to kind of preserve our lives or to hold on to them so tightly that we're not sharing them in some way. It's very similar to, to how we breathe. We are to inhale and exhale. So that's one way you can think about this. Um, one, of, uh, one of my mentors says that the human ego wants two things. It wants um, separation from others and superiority. Like that's what the human ego wants. It wants to separate itself from everyone else and then it wants to go, look how superior I am to everyone else. Like there's, when, when the human ego is just free to go after that, we kind of go on that trajectory. The spiritual life and the wisdom of Jesus' words here is that that's probably not the way to live. That if we follow our egos to separate more and more and become more and more superior, we are in some way uh, not living the lives that we were made to live because we were made to uh, connect more deeply with each other. We were made to see the image of God in each other and not see ourselves like ranking each other, like I'm better than this person or we're better than this group of people. So finding life is about paying attention to maybe where the human ego wants to take us and go, I think this might be a better way to live. Here's another one. This makes perfect sense to me. Um, how many know people who uh, they just have to be right all the time? Anyone? Anyone? Don't, or don't look at the person sitting next to you. Um, yeah, I'm seeing somebody looking, hitting your spouse. Um, Debbie just gave me the eyebrows, so it might be me too. Yeah. Um, we probably all fall victim to this at different times, right? But let's think about this for a second. When you're on the receiving end of that, and especially when someone is so adamant on, on proving that they're right, and you know that they're not all right. You know that they're wrong in some way, but they keep going and insisting that they're right. Um, can I just ask you this? Is that life-giving in any way? No, it's not. There is this way that moves us toward life that, hey, if, if we're not right, we should what? Acknowledge it. We should be humble enough and courageous enough to go, wait, I, no, you know what? I've been kind of going at this in this way and I just became aware. I'm just trying to win the argument. That's not very life-giving. But something happens when human beings have the humility to go, 
to, to wake up to that and be more aware of it and then to confess it to the person. That's a way of bringing us together. And there's something that happens in that. When we apologize for something we know we've done wrong, I think those are life-giving things. What is that apologizing? In some way, it's humbling ourselves and going, hey, I'm not the only one that matters in this. And um, maybe one of the ways that I could give life to this relationship is if I would die to myself, my need to be right, and just confess and say I'm sorry. There may be something beautiful and good. There are all these different kinds of ways that we know that this is true in the lives that we live. Here's one more. Um, and it's this. Um, people who are selfish, in which I'll confess, Debbie just smiled at me. By the way, Debbie is here with us this morning, which I am so grateful for. I don't know if everyone knows Debbie, because people go, does George really have a wife? He does, yeah. And she's sitting right there. Because she's, she's back with the kids a lot, and you guys know that, but I'm so glad to have her in here. But I'm getting a little bit nervous because I'm talking about being right and apologizing and being selfish. I can't pretend like she doesn't know the truth about me. So. But I am selfish at sometimes. And I think if we are all paying attention, we catch ourselves being selfish sometimes. Um, and I typically experience it when, um, especially when I'm around parents, of like, especially you mothers of little ones. And I just see all that you do, you know, to care for them. And then I go, wow, I'm really selfish. Like, I cannot believe the lengths that a parent goes to actually care for their kids. But I would say this. Those of us, let's just talk about other people. The people in the world who are very selfish, we don't have to talk about us, right? That's too hard. Um, All the people who are selfish, when you look at their lives, I would say this. Their world is getting progressively smaller and smaller and smaller. And you look at people who are more unselfish and um, giving in some way, their world is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Why? Because I think we're made. If, if I'm just being selfish, then it's about me. When I met Debbie, my whole um, center of gravity was me. And then I met Debbie, and my center of gravity expanded. And uh, early on, I was very immature. Like, we were married, and I come home, and I, you know, put on my basketball clothes, grab my gym bag, and go to gym and play basketball. Well, that lasted about two weeks. You remember that, Deb? And she's like, do you realize you played basketball every night this week? Like, she goes, you're married now. Like, you're going to have to stop playing basketball. Oh, I'm just playing with my friends. George, I'm your wife. And thank God she was so gracious for me. And I was like, well, how many nights can I play? And she was wonderful. She's like, two or three. Just cut two out. Let's start there. So, uh, but I remember in that moment in life for me, it was like my center of gravity had to expand. And I needed a loving person in my life to help me see that. And then what I discovered was that, oh my gosh, the world is so much more beautiful when I expand that to include her. Um, And so anyways, I'm confessing horrible things about me this morning. But what does this look like to, um, you know, to move away from just being a separate self, um, to not putting up, posturing ourselves in a place of superiority over other people. What does it mean to be willing to die to our need to be right when we're wrong and just apologize and, and own up? What does it mean to be less selfish and more unselfish? Can I just say a word for it? I think it looks a lot like love. I really do. And I think that's what this text is inviting us to do, is to look a little more like love. And you can't look like love when 
all you do is care for you. And your center of gravity goes no further than just around you. Jesus is trying to wake up humanity to the fact that we could have these more progressive, expansive kinds of lives if we'll open up that center of gravity. So it's an invitation to truly live that looks like love. And I'll just say this. I think the people who love are the people who know God the most. I really do. And I think the theologians and the pastors should listen to them. Because the central invitation of this text is simply that. It's be the kind of people that could expand your life to love more than just yourself. If Jesus doesn't leave us a creed or he doesn't leave us a doctrine and a dogma, what does he leave us? He leaves us these words. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. So there's this expansiveness of going beyond just loving ourselves that is actually what it means to be alive and to live. So in Christ, what do we see? We see this. We see this giving life to find it. And that's what we do when we come back to, to this table. Um, just one more, one more thing. I think there are two different kinds of faith. And let me tell you one kind of faith that I experienced when I was a lot younger and then a kind of faith that I've been growing in for a while. But the, the, the first kind of faith that I experienced in, um, very early on in my journey, um, you know, my teen years into my early 20s, it was having the kind of faith, what can I make happen? in my life. It's kind of the way faith was presented to me. And I don't know if anyone has experienced any of this in your faith journey. But it's like, hey, we're going to tell you the way you could practice your faith. And what it's going to do is it's going to produce and give you a certain kind of life. And the kind of circle I was in, it was, um, they call it, it was like a faith kind of movement. And so what you did is you just prayed the right prayers. Um, you said all the right things. You did all the right things. And then all of life just worked out perfectly. And I remember as a little boy, like, just going off all in on this. Like, yeah, I'm going to do everything I can to build that kind of faith so that I can make life happen. And um, then tragedy struck me as a young boy. Around 10, my dad got cancer. And I have this faith that I'm trying to work out. And I have these questions that are coming up in my journey going, what? Like, I did all the right things. My mom's done all the right things. My dad was doing all that. Like, what? Like, where, where does this come from? It just, like, threw me into this spin. And because I had this notion that faith is what makes life happen. And uh, I remember it was a defining moment in my life because everything I knew about God was not working. And, man, I was in a world of hurt. I was losing someone that I loved. And then I felt like, in some way, my notion and understanding of God was dying too. And even there was a moment of going, maybe this whole God thing is just ridiculous because it just has not worked out the way that I was told it was supposed to. But somehow, through the grace of God, I was able to go, you know what, I think I'm just going to take this faith that I thought was going to make life happen the way that I would hope, and I'm going to set that aside, and I'm, I'm, but I'm going to hold on to this mystery. Like, I do believe there's a loving God. So let me just, let me set that aside. Let me start here. And here's what emerged out of that for me. And it's this, is that faith now is more about what you do, all right, when life doesn't turn out the way you had hoped. Like, that's a different kind of faith. 
And it's not always clear. But it's the kind of faith that I've discovered that it doesn't have to have all the answers in the midst of that because there are no answers to why people get sick. There are no answers. I was a student pastor for many years, how there could be parents that do everything right to raise their kids. And they love them and they, you know, they, they give them all the things they need and then they just veer off and go somewhere. And then there are other parents who do all the wrong things and their kids turn out to be these little angels. Like I remember a student pastor, that kind of stuff made no sense. So in a lot of ways, sense, uh, faith can just make no sense because there are people who do everything right and it does not go the way they'd hoped. And there are people who do everything wrong and it just looks like life is perfect. Here's what I'm inviting us to. What if we opened up to the kind of faith that meets us right where we're at? And exactly the way things are happening that doesn't have all the answers, but does give us some kind of a sense that we're being held and we're being cared for and we're being guided in the midst of, of mystery, in the midst of the questions that we have. I think that's a more healthy kind of faith because life is not all about joy. And that was one thing in faith like... Um, when we came into gatherings like this, it was all about, you know, shouting and up to the left and never, ever talking about what could possibly go wrong in life. And I think it's when things go wrong, that's when we need our faith the most. So uh, life isn't always about joy, but I would say this, it's about the, empower, the power to endure when things aren't joyful. Faith is all about that. All right, so I want to just read, to, read this to you. Um, this was so helpful to me. Uh, this writer says this, because we're coming to the table this morning, and just so you know, this guy that we follow and worship and say that his story, his life, his teaching is going to guide us to uh, the kind of life that really does help us be the human beings we were made to be, do you realize that his life didn't go exactly the way everyone hoped it would go? Um, it ended in what looked like tragedy and setback and disappointment. This is who we follow. So um, maybe we shouldn't be so surprised when at different times we find that life is difficult and life is hard. And even though we've done everything the right way, um, it didn't turn out exactly. Or this moment isn't turning out the exact way we'd hope. But here's maybe a way we can face life. This, this writer says this, he says, the cross says the pain stops here. The way of the cross is a way of absorbing pain, not passing it on, a way that transforms pain from destructive impulse into creative power. When Jesus accepts the cross, his death opened up a channel for the redeeming power of love. When we accept the crosses and contradictions in our lives, we allow the same power to flow. All right, so just hold this tension for just a moment. I think Christianity is about whatever it is that we're, we brought into this place right now, including me, that there is a power at work in you, at work in me, and at work in us that can redeem it all. And I think every single one of us in this room can be a more beautiful gift to the world if we can hold the tension of that pain and that struggle. And that our faith can meet us in that. And we find the presence of love, 
a presence of grace, a presence of hope that meets us in it. And what we do is we go, okay, as I receive this cup and this bread, what I'm going to do is, God, I'm inviting you to help this pain stop right here in me. I didn't ask for this. Um, I didn't want to experience this. But since I have, I'm going to do something with it. Um, And that pain is going to stop here, and I'm going to receive your presence through this bread and this cup, and I'm going to ask it to nourish me to give something more beautiful to, to the world than the pain that I've just experienced. That's what it means to find this kind of life. It is a sacrifice, isn't it? It's a dying to some things, but then there's something that comes to life. I'm going to invite Jared and Annalisa up. Um, I just want to prepare our hearts as we come. And I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to go back to the table. By the way, I served all the people that are serving here today, um, the musicians, all, everyone back at our control table and our kids' workers, so you don't have to worry about them. But uh, we're just going to sing a little bit to kind of tune our hearts, and then we're going to ask you to come to the tables, and there's going to be some of your brothers and sisters in the community are going to serve you communion, okay? And on this side, you guys could just go this way to the back table and just come on through. There's a, um, a garbage can back there. You could just throw your cup in there. You don't have to bring that back to your seat. Then just come back to your seat. But, and you guys over here will go this way. You guys could decide whatever is best for you over here. I trust that. Um, the bread, gluten-free, nut-free, soy-free, dairy-free, taste-free. Um, but it is always full of presence and love. Um, so uh, you, could, you can consume that knowing that you didn't do anything to hurt your body. But after you receive it, just come back to your seat and sit down. But here's the question. What pain stops with you that you don't want to pass on in some way? And just invite Christ, presence through this. Yeah, and the servers, you want to go back to the table. Debbie and I are going to come back and serve you. But what is it that you want to stop? And what are you going to invite Christ um, in that dying to bring life to in you? I want you to think about that. But let me pray, and then they'll, they'll lead us. God, here we are, um, doing what it is that you gave us to do. You left us this practice and said, do this, not just in remembrance of you, which that certainly is part of it, but God, it's also a way that you're present to us through Christ. So just pray as we tune our hearts and we come and receive um, God, we come with open hands. It isn't something that we have to strive for or reach for, that your presence is freely given to us. So as we open our hands and receive it, would you just open our hearts to the mystery that you are in our lives? And I pray for each of us that we would have just a sense that we can trust this, even with all the questions even with all the things that maybe haven't gone the way we'd hoped, that somehow through meeting you here, we're going to end up where we're supposed to be and you will care for us and you will guide us. Meet us at this table through one another. In Jesus' name, amen.